Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often they push themselves out of their comfort zones and took risks. We want to know about that decision point. Why did they make that decision? And most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abrachi Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior, and in it, we have a leadership model, CHARGE, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're so excited to have Emily Sander as our special guest. Emily has spent more than 15 years in the business world, but when she realized that her favorite role was mentoring leaders, she decided to pursue coaching. As a C-suite executive and ICF certified coach, she combines her experience and proven insights with a keen ability to understand each client's unique personality and situation. She's the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. Emily, thanks so much for being on our podcast. We always like to start by asking what you do when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking. Well, thank you, Kelly and Carrie, for having me on. I like to think of my future self, maybe three to five years out, and think about what I want to look back on and what I want to have accomplished or what type of person I want to have become or gotten closer to. And for inspiration, I often look back three to five years and usually smile and laugh at myself in a good way about what seemed like a big deal at the time or what types of things would really worry me. And now, you know, I can do in my sleep or don't think twice about. So it's a reminder to stay on my growth edge, which is one step outside of my comfort zone. And a tell I, I look for is that mixture of fear and excitement. So it's, it's like a cocktail. You have the right parts of each. And I've gotten really good at identifying that, looking for it, and then saying yes before I can talk myself out of it. Oh my gosh, Emily, there's so much in there. I, I like so much. So um, Kelly and I often talk about if you don't feel a little sick, before you take on a new role or client or, you know, challenge, then it's not good. Right. So that mixture of fear and excitement, that cocktail, I appreciate that. You say it much better. I say like, you're going to throw up. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What I I like, have you done the exercise of it's a little morbid, but it's kind of like you're three to five years out where people ask, write your eulogy or what you want to be remembered for. It's kind of the same idea of the three to five years. Yeah, I've seen that. I've, I've used that a little bit. Um, it is a little bit morbid, but I like, I like to think just, you know, what, what do I have on the horizon? What's kind of my, my true North. And a lot of times we get caught up in the minutia and the weeds of what we're doing. And I tend to get tunnel vision a lot. So, oh my gosh, let me lift my head up and look and look out and say, oh no, I actually have come a long way. Let's give myself a little pat on the back and a little bit of credit and uh, keep myself centered on where I'm wanting to go. 
Yeah, because what you're doing is what I appreciate is it's that future look. So you're pushing yourself, you're pushing your thinking, like we asked, you know, how do you do that? You think of that three to five years, but then that look back is so important too, because you can be too forward thinking and then never take time to celebrate what you've done in the past. So that's super important to do. So my question then, Emily, is what is one thing that's on your horizon now, three to five years out that you're like, okay, and then What's maybe one thing that you look back, like you were saying, you laughed and you went, I, I can't even believe A, I did that. And now it's easy. Like give us some of your surprises and, and what's on the horizon for you. Sure. So, I mean, a recent, a relatively recent one is writing my book and that happened mm-hmm. during COVID. So, you know, COVID hit, no one expected it. It was very serious and very scary. And then lockdown was very boring and I was <laughs> going to lose my mind. Um, and so I said, I have to do something uh, with this time. And I always kind of had a book in the back of my mind, maybe for years and years and years down the line. But I said, no, like now is the time and I'm going to write a book. And it scared the crap out of me because I didn't know how. And I thought I'm putting words on paper and people are going to read them right next to my name. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was that that special mixture of fear and excitement and way down in my heart of hearts. And the, the true gut check was like, yes, just just do it. Just say yes, just do it. Um, and I found a boutique publisher and he helped me. But that was the most recent one where I was like, oh, that was scary and exciting. And then I did it. And now I can say I've done that. I remember holding the book in my hands for the, for the first time, the draft copy. And that was um, quite a quite a moment because I had remembered and recalled sitting down to my first writing session and staring at that blinking cursor on a blank mm-hmm. page when nothing had been written. Um, and so now when I'm like, I have a blank slate in front of me, I don't know how to do this. This is really scary. I go, oh, but I've done it before. Let me do it again. I like that. Yes. It's the, I've done it before. It's okay. Like I've done it. It's okay. I can do it again. And I love that. And congratulations again on the book. It is like birthing a a very (laughs) long child, Um, a very long gestation period usually. Um, But good for you for doing something during COVID too, that I guess you didn't make sourdough bread, but maybe you did, but uh, (laughs) like all these people were doing, (laughs) you're like, I'm going to do something a little more productive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so thank you, Emily, for that, putting out a body of knowledge. It is pretty cool. I will say um, you made me think of that that first time when you see it and your name's on it, you're like, oh, it's really out there now. Like it yeah. really is putting this creative work out there that lots of people that you don't even know will judge it, will uh, put star reviews on it or not. Yes, um, It's at a bookstore. It's really weird to see it. Like it's still weird for me. Um, to, to see it. And one of the, the coolest things, and, and I hope like when you go to the bookstore, when my book was first out, um, they, I, they put it next cause it was a local author. So they put it next to one of the other books that was by Bob Woodward. And I went, that wow. is the most surreal moment I've ever had in my life. I was like, is that next to Bob? Like what? And then, of course, I sold a million books, Emily, and the rest is... No, that's not true. That's not what happened at all. No one cares. That's coming soon, though. That's going to happen next. I can feel yeah, it. Yeah, right. Because the world wants an HR book. But anyway, Emily, let's move on. <laughs> um, so it's really cool. And congratulations. And I love that you can still remember that feeling of, of holding it in your hands. So what is the kind of uh, decision that you made or maybe an event that happened to you that really changed the trajectory of your life? And what are some of those charge qualities that you use to kind of help you through it? 
The biggest event that has changed the trajectory of my life is being adopted into the family that I was adopted into. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea. And then at five and a half months old, as a little baby, I was brought over to America. And I grew up in Seattle, Washington. And I have a great family. They're loving and supportive and challenging in the right ways and fun in the right ways or the wrong ways when you're a teenager. Um, and I remember having a conversation with my nephew who, who was grown, who was grown. And we were talking about this book, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. And the backdrop for the book is it has multiverses. So instead of a one universe, it has mm. numerous versions of our life that are going on simultaneously. And each decision or event that takes place opens up a new multiverse. So mm. it can be something small, like I took this street to work instead of that one. It can be something big, like I married this person or not, or I invented this uh, medical you know, novel vaccine or, or whatnot. And we were going back and forth through all the big decisions. And you know, what was our biggest event and trying to find the one with the biggest impact and the biggest jump in the multiverse. And mine was, it, it must be having been adopted into the family that I was. And I think about, you know, just even if I had been adopted into a different country, when I was young, I remember meeting Korean adoptees who were from Sweden and they rightfully spoke nothing but Swedish. And I yes. like looked at them with a the head tilt and was like, why are you speaking Swedish? And they were looking back at me going, why do you only speak English? Um, and so that was a funny moment. And then even within the same country, even within the U.S., we, we all know that there's very different regions and different cultures within that. So, um, yeah, my nephew and I were sitting there and thinking about it, and when we both realized, oh, like I might not have been my brother's sister, which means I wouldn't have been your aunt, we both just stopped and our minds were blown. So I would have to say that was, that's by far the biggest event that's changed the trajectory of my life. Oh my God. Well, first of all, you get the award for going back the farthest that anyone <laughs> has gone back. I've been waiting for someone to be like, and you've gone back the farthest. I think we've had like what middle school, maybe Kelly or something like that. Um, but uh, you go, okay, so let's unpack. So what have, how did you, like, did you think about what your life would be like if you weren't adopted? Like, what are some of these kind of scenarios you thought through? Um, like, what was that? Like, what would you think if you weren't adopted at all? Like, what would your life be like? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that, you know, for sure over the course of my life, especially when I was younger. And I, oh, it's it's hard to imagine because I, you know, I would speak a different language, I would have a different different, you know, affiliation to to who my country was, and obviously the values and the culture that would surround me. So it is that nature versus nurture. But I have, I, I I'm convinced that the environment you grew up in and the people that are around you have such a huge impact uh, on you. So my life would have been very, very different had I stayed in Korea. Um, I don't know the circumstances of my biological parents and what, okay. what prompted them to, to give me up for adoption. But um, I choose to tell myself a story that it was out of love and them wanting a better life for me. Um, but had I stayed, my life would have been drastically different. And, and had I gone to any other place or any other family, it would have been different as well. Yeah. So was your, was your, so when you came over, so you're five and a half months. So tell us about, no, I'm just joking. You can't remember. <laughs> um, so you moved to Seattle and what did, uh, was your, is your family, your adopt, the family that adopted you, are they also Korean or are they different from a different uh, culture? They're white. Yeah. My parents are both white. Okay. So tell us about like, 
what was it like? Because Seattle has a, a very deep Asian population. So, but you might not have lived around other people from Korea. Like, what was it like growing up? And kind of when were your first thinking of, I I am kind of different from my parents, or am I adopted? Like, how did they tell you? How did that come to your consciousness? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, well, there was no hiding it. So they, you know, brought me up and brought me up to be proud to be adopted and thinking it was a cool thing. And they made it very positive. Um, my mom remembers, uh, she used to tell me the story that when I was looking at a National Geographic magazine, and I saw someone of Asian descent, I said, oh, they're like me. And of course, she like broke down crying because she knew that I understood that. But um, it was always a positive thing. And you're right. Seattle is very diverse and there's a huge Mm -hmm. Asian um, population. So it wasn't even a thing. You know, my my family, my extended family uh, treated me like any other cousin or or niece. But um, at one point, my brother lived in Iowa which I'm pretty sure is the whitest state in the union. And so when I would walk down the street, I'm not joking, people would slow their cars down and roll down the window. And I was like, what are they looking at? I looked behind me and I was like, oh no, they're looking at me because I was such a novel (laughs) novel thing in their day. And I was like, okay, so I feel, um, I felt it there for sure, which um, I got a chuckle out of because it was a temporary visit, but I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's different. Wow. What, um, how did your parents, because there's a lot of people obviously who are adopted and and I'm sure there's parents who kind of struggle with how to kind of manage it. Maybe how did your parents make it? Cause you said they made it positive, like what, and fun kind of like, what did they do? That's really interesting. Like what was the key to their success on that? I think the biggest thing is when other kids would react to it or would, or would say mm-hmm. things because kids judge on what they see, yes. which is fine. They would, instead of being like all clamped up and tense, like, oh no, like let's deal with this in a very serious way. They were like, yeah, like I'm a real mom. I look just like her, don't I? And they would <laughs> kind of make a joke out of it. Um, and my dad, who is, who is very into comic books and loved the whole mythos of the superheroes, would read me comic books as a kid for, for his turn at bedtime story. And my favorite was Superman. And once he got a hold of that, he said, you know, um, Superman was adopted too. And I thought about it and I said, oh, he is, he's, he's adopted from Krypton and he got taken in by, um, you know, the Kents in Kansas. And that's really what helped him define his values and morals and, and do all the good things. And so when I heard that, I lit up and said, oh, like, okay, even Superman's adopted. Oh, I love, and first of all, you'd be happy you weren't adopted in Kansas, another very white <laughs> state for you. So <laughs> yeah. I love Iowa, just in case any people from Iowa are listening. I love Iowa. Um, it was just a funny, funny day walking down the road. I was going to say, Iowa knows they're white. It's okay. Like they're, <laughs> yeah, I've driven through Iowa, gone there. It's okay. They know it. Um, but I, I really, how sweet when your dad made that connection of like, you like Superman and Superman, Superman was adopted too. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are there, what maybe are some of the struggles you had being adopted and kind of how did you manage through some of those struggles too? Cause it sounds like your parents did such a wonderful job trying to you know, trying to help you and make sure you didn't have that many struggles with it. But I think there's just no way you didn't have any struggles. Sure. So what are some of those, what are some of those that, that happened? Yeah. I mean, kids will be kids. So middle school, high school, um, kids will say and do things that are just like, Oh, I can look back and laugh now. But at the time we're, we're pretty upsetting. I remember yeah. I played soccer. Um, I played soccer all through, all through school. And on this one team, 
uh, I had a teammate named Cameo and she was, um, her dad was black and her mom was white and we were playing our arch rivals. And right before halftime, they started yelling stuff at us. And then they started throwing stuff at us. And we were like, what's happening? And we were like, oh, it's very directed at me and Cameo. And then we realized what they were throwing at us. And it was individually wrapped hostess snacks. And they were throwing ho-hos at her, which are like dark chocolate cake with white whipped cream swirl in the middle. And they were throwing Twinkies at me, which are yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Oh, my God. And so I was like, okay. So I went, we went to halftime and we had our little powwow and moment, but that was super upsetting. We, I used it as fuel to kick their butt in the second half, but um, that, that stuck with me for, for a little while. Um, And then, you know, I've always had the, you know, people say, oh, you, you look like your dad or, oh, you have your mom's eyes or, you know, something like that. And I've always wondered, like, I wonder if I, I look like one of my parents or, um, you know, if I have a certain trait uh, where someone would be like, oh, that's from your dad type of thing. And, and I finally realized that I'll never know. I have to put it in the, I don't know file in my brain and just say, I'm me. I look like me. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, how do you, and by the way, children throwing food like that. I remember I went to, I went to a predominantly like get more creative people. Like I went to a predominantly Jewish school and they threw bagels at us. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, first of all, you're wasting a ton of food. And by the way, a bagel hurts. Like that's not a, that's a hard food. <laughs> um, so like stop throwing food. You're just wasting food. Stop being racist idiots. But how did you man? like, what is some of the strength that you, that you could manage when you dealt with that? And then also kind of taking it back to your parents who are white, who don't deal with racism like that. Um, how did you find kind of your way and who to talk to during those times, Emily? Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have other Korean adoptees that I kind mm-hmm. of knew. Um, my parents connected us together when we were young. So we had that shared experience. Um, part of why my parents chose to adopt me from Korea is because my dad's best friend had done that as well. And so they had Michelle. Um, and so she and I were kind of in, in the same cohort in the same age range. And we're going through that um, process together, which was fantastic. And then I actually had another Korean adoptee that happened to be in the neighborhood I was growing up, uh, Laura. And so we, we hung out as well, but I think just, you know, the classic, you're not alone. And, um, I met a lot of different people that would have been very, very different and isolating if, if I felt like, oh, I'm the only one who's in this situation. And, um, there certainly were moments of, you know, tears and that didn't feel good. And how can people, people be so mean or ignorant, yeah. but there also was tons of, of folks around me who were very supportive and either couldn't care less or made it a very happy thing. So I just, uh, I just gravitated toward them. And as I got older and got to choose who I was hanging around, I would, I would choose to hang around them. But um, yeah, it was definitely ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and, and especially through childhood. But um, you know, my parents, uh, they, they showed me by example, but they also armed me with, you know, here, here's your values and um, you're going to sometimes need to use them as a shield against the mm-hmm. world and be very grounded and rooted in who you are. And you're going to have to, you know, be okay with that 100% inside yourself because uh, when the world comes against you at times, you're, you're going to have to rely, rely on it. And they knew that I wouldn't always have them as well. So they were trying to build that up in me from a very young age. 
Yeah. I love that they, they were so smart to do that and try to help you. And then also, as we've talked about in this podcast, you kind of had your, um, your network already, even as a kid, you know, cause we talk about how important it is to have a network and people who support you and, and understand you and that kind of board of directors. And you already had that as they connected you with other people, other kids who were adopted from Korea. So that's just lovely that they did that. So I think Emily, did you, do you feel, and it kind of goes to, you, you can't, you have to be okay with that. I don't know if I look like my mom or dad or like those traits that I got from my biological parents. How did you wrestle with that? And like, do you feel like you just innately had this kind of courage and resilience or did you really have to struggle for a while to get to that point where you were this in, in this beautiful acceptance mode that you are in now? <laughs> it was a long journey. I struggled for a while. I really, really wanted to know. I wanted to know why. I wanted to know why they had made that decision for a really long time. And uh, through, you know, lots of lots of work on myself and lots of conversations with different people, um, I came to the realization that I will never know, even if I went to find them. And even if I did find them, even if I could speak to them, the reason they gave the story they might tell me might not even be the real reason or the mm-hmm. real truth. So I, I will never know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I was younger, that was really, really tough on me. I mean, kids would, you know, they would say stupid, stupid crap. Like, yeah. Oh, you're, you must be the, you know, your, your mom could have been a, uh, you know, a working person, you know, prostitute and you could have been oh, the daughter of a, of a whore. And I was like, okay, well I have nothing to right. empirically refute that, but, right. uh, you know, likely not, but that just stuff like that just, Aww. uh, got to me. So I would ask that question a lot to myself, yeah. and I would think about it and ruminate about it and go, what if this, and what if that, which of yeah. course is an infinite cycle. I could do that forever. Right. And at some point I said, you know, I have to make the decision for myself. Um, you know, what story do I want to tell myself and who do I want to be and what do I want to be about? But there were certainly dark moments and lots of tears and lots of tough conversations and um, things like that along the way. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll quote Kelly Gunther who said it maybe about a week ago, we were talking about kids and she's like, kids are horrible. They say the coolest, <laughs> most horrible things. She's like, kids are horrible. That will be, of course, the quote that gets Kelly canceled, but she's like, kids are horrible. And I'm like, they are not so nice. Like they really, I even remember my son saying like, kids are real. This is like at four years old. He's like, kids are really mean, mom. <laughs> like they're they, really can like, the knife. they can twist the knife. Some of them. Yeah. Ooh. Oh my God. He was like, they can be really cruel because they have absolutely no filter whatsoever. What, um, I know we'll get to some advice, but in, in, I know you already have some, but I wanted to ask like, what advice do you have for kids who are adopted who do kind of want that history? And how do you stop that? What if, cause you're right. I'm like, you could live your whole life. I'm like, well, what if this, and what if this, and what if they were like this? And what, I mean, you could just drive yourself mad. So what kind of advice have that you could give them since you kind of on the other side of it, that to help them think through that? I think you can decide if you want to try to find more information about your biological parents. That's a perfectly fine thing. I've chosen not to just because I'm, I'm good with what I have. But if that's something you want to pursue, then, then go do it. Now, there's lots of ways to do that. You can you know, go to the adoption agency. You can travel yourself. You can do something like 23andMe, which can maybe connect you with, uh, with people. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to do that. Whereas you know, before it was, you, know, you, you go and you try to hunt and find different scraps of information. Um, so I think 
decide if you want to do that. Um, and, and if you don't want to do that, or you try and you can't find information, then, you know, doing the the work on yourself to figure out, okay, if mm. I can't get that information, or if I don't want that information, how am I going to set myself up best to lead the life I want uh, mm. without, without that? Mm. How do you think that this this event, as we talked about in the in the beginning, the event that goes back and is the biggest sh- change for you, or the biggest thing that infected all your multiverses, <laughs> um, uh, which I just I adore that. I love that you and your nephew were talking about that. It's so cool. What? How do you think it's impacted your career, your life as a coach? Like, what makes what gives you kind of a different perspective or a different take? I think on life because of this event at five and a half months? Yeah. Um, there's, there's many, so there's the be grateful aspect, which, uh, a lot of people have talked about, which I'm all for, I won't go too in depth there, but one thing I like to share is your mind rests in gratitude. So when you're grateful for something, you're giving yourself a little break, a little breather. And so a lot of us are running around from here to there, doing this and that to-do list, dropping off kids, picking up this person, super stressed. And even if you're just in the car and you have 10 seconds to be grateful for something or someone, it gives you a little rest. It gives you a little breath back. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful to, to be part of the family that I'm in. And so there's that aspect. There's the perspective aspect, which I think is huge. So it's important for all of us. It's especially important for a lot of business leaders I work with is finding things that give you perspective. Mm. And that can be anything that can be a memory. It can be a song. It can be a picture. It can be going to a certain place or doing a certain activity Two two of my examples are if I'm managing through, some, through something that's a big deal or is a lot of stress or a lot of pressure on me, I'll think of Abraham Lincoln and who was the U.S. president during the Civil War. And I'll think about the time and place he was living in and the decisions he had to make and the fact that they were life and death decisions. And he literally had the fate of the nation on his shoulders. And then I go back to whatever I'm dealing with. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I can handle this. And it's not to belittle that in any way or say what I'm going through isn't valid, but it's putting it in right perspective. And it's saying, Emily, you're not performing heart surgery. You're Mm -hmm. not charging a beachhead for freedom. Like it could be something as small as trying to navigate, not being upset that someone didn't CC you on an email. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be fine. Um, And the the second example that I would give is get yourself in a new environment uh, every 90 days or so, you know, six months, whatever you can manage. But that can be a short road trip. That can be a long weekend, but get yourself outside of your routine. And what that does, one of the things that does is it slows down time. So one way to slow down time is you create novel experiences. So all of your senses will be heightened because you can't run on autopilot because everything is new. And so you have to be present and you have to be aware about what's happening and taking it all in. Um, And we also, you know, talking about multiverses and timelines, we, we place things relative to events. So right after I graduated, I went to DC or a year before so-and-so was born, we did this. And so we place these new events or experience um, in our lives and you actually slow time down. Mm. I, that, I was just thinking you, the grateful perspective, the novel experiences, it's kind of what you've been also living all your life. So for you to crystallize those, those three key pieces of advice and how you've carried it forward, 
uh, you've been living it. That's how it's kind of made you in a very, in a way so much more mature from the jump because of what you had to deal with. <laughs> um, so you're like, I'm old, be- I'm wise beyond my years. Carrie. That's right. You call me mature. So I got wisdom. <laughs> wisdom is so awesome. I love that. Um, is there any other, I didn't ask you our specific like advice, but I think you just gave it, but is there any other advice or actions, especially for kids who have been adopted or how, again, you've translated this into your taking lessons forward in your career and how you coach others? I would just say, you know, be intentional about this life that you're living, this version of the life that you're living. It's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. A lot of people wake up and say, I have to get through this day, or I hope nothing Mm -hmm. bad happens to me today and, and just let me go through the motions. And instead, you know, it might be something to say, um, you know, this is the beginning of a new day. I've been given this day to do as I wish. What I do today is important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. And tomorrow I'll never get it back. And so let it be for something good. And so just know that the decisions you make, how you show up, how you interact with people, you're continually creating this version of your life that you're living now and you're creating your tomorrow. So take pride in it, own it, have fun with it and make it for something good. Mm. Taking agency in your life, which I adore and love. And thank you so much, Emily. I want to see what Kelly um, since this will be Kelly's last time on the podcast, since I've canceled her, was saying that you know, <laughs> she said kids are cruel and horrible. Sorry, Gunther, about that. Well, I do stand by it. So it is true. <laughs> I mean, I have flash. I was flashbacking as you were ta- talking about it because I mean, I, and not to equate it to being adopted because in no way am I suggesting that I was uh, or that that my experiences were in any way unique or similar to yours. Um, Emily, but you know, as a child, I sucked my thumb. And so I had two teeth that would kind of protrude. And so, you know, I looked different and it was not attractive. It wasn't good. You know, it just, they, it was obvious that I had, you know, sucked my thumb. And so, you know, people would call me names and I had a, my name is Kelly. So Kelly smelly, all these horrible things. And when you're five, six, seven, you know, eight, you can't process it. You just get upset. You cry or you just hit somebody or, you know, you just, you, you're not capable of being able to emotionally, you know, handle those kinds of things in a rational way. So, um, I under, I, I kind of relate to some of a little bit of what you go through on that level. So yeah, kids are nasty. Yeah. We should um, use it as the promotional clip. Kids are nasty. We should. Absolutely. <laughs> kids are horrible. I'm all in. I thought this was going to be more of a story about adoption, but the whole thing now is kids are horrible. Please join Emily, Carrie, and Kelly. To discuss the kids are <laughs> but there's so much potential and you can see, like, I mean, I love the story of you and your dad as he's reading you the bedtime story of Superman. Like, it, it brought a little tear to my eye because I could visualize Aww. that and I could see it. I mean, I just, again, you know, it, the fact that they were so open about it, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of the stories I've heard or read, it really wasn't discussed. It wasn't talked about too much. It wasn't, you know, um, because it was so open because they were so open about it with you it created an environment in which you could be very, um, descriptive about your experience and they could talk about it. And I love the value system that they talked about with you so that you could prepare yourself and they were really working to raise you in a way that you could be independent and you could 
sort of arm yourself with, you know, mechanisms to, to, to protect yourself when and if situations happened um, in which they could not be present and because they would not be present for your entire life. So I love that visual that you gave us. It's, it's lovely. What age were you adopted, Emily? Um, I was a baby. So five, five and a half months old. Okay. I wasn't sure if you remember if you were like a toddler or, okay, but you were a baby. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Were there, are there good resources or, um, you know, places where maybe those who are um, teenagers, younger even, or even adults who are, who are working through adoption and being adopted can go to for information on just support, advocacy? Yeah, I can certainly send you um, some information. Maybe you can put it in the show notes. There's a few books I can't recall off the top of my head, um, but I can look them up and give them to you. But yeah, certainly. I mean, I would encourage anyone if they're um, thinking about adopting, if they've been adopted, if they're working through that to reach out. There's plenty of resources today and it's it's a a good thing to just uh, compare notes and share and collaborate about this. Absolutely. And um, I think too, it's, have you have, I I wonder too, have you been to South Korea? Have you traveled there? No, not yet. So I I will go one day, but um, I I haven't been back yet. Okay. Awesome. I mean, definitely bucket list thing for you. It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've been trying to pick my moment when I go back and then, um, you know, obviously COVID went, went that out the window in the last couple of years, but I will go back in, in my lifetime for sure. I'm just picking, picking the right timing. Absolutely. Oh, well, I mean, we're so grateful to you for sharing your story and, and for the vulnerability you showed in sharing it. Um, and for your, for your honesty, for the humor as well that you brought, um, I, I definitely think a lot of that you probably get your, from your from your parents and the experiences you shared, but just also for being so open to, you know, talking about, you know, every aspect of, of the experience that you've had, the good, the bad, um, as well as sort of the in-between. So we'll definitely post all of the uh, resources that Emily shares in the show notes, along with the link to Emily's book. I can't wait to pick it up. Um, as well as the link to your website, nextlevel.coach. Looking forward to uh, visiting that in more detail as well, Emily. Um, Again, encourage everyone to connect with Emily, learn more about her, um, talk with her if you're interested. And again, thank you, Emily, so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. You guys were great hosts. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abrachi Group, Instagram at Warriors of HR, and Twitter at Warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you.